Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. This is the conversation we try to have with people who are coming up with innovative solutions to complex and challenging problems. And we've got two such people with us today. Jimmy Chen is the founder and CEO of Propel, which uh, I'll let Jimmy describe what it does, but it is a way of revolutionizing uh, the way families who are eligible for benefits and at Share Strength, we focus on food assistance benefits. Uh, it, it helps families get them and cut through a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and barriers that exist to those benefits. Jimmy is on the board of Share Strength. He's one of our newest board members, and he's already brought so much fresh thinking to our work that we're thrilled to have him. And somebody that Jimmy knows, and I'm going to ask the two of you to talk about how you know each other, is Ofek Lavian, who's the co-founder and CEO of San Francisco-based Forage, which is a company whose mission is to democratize access to government benefits. So they're in a very similar space. And the reason that I've been so looking forward to this conversation is I feel that both OFEC and Jimmy are bringing new thinking, innovative ways to solve problems that are so consistent with the way Share Our Strength thinks about what is necessary in this space. We're coming up at Share Our Strength on our 40th anniversary. Uh, and over those 40 years, Share Our, Share Our Strength has grown and changed in more ways than anybody could possibly count. But one thing has always remained the same, and that's our commitment to rejecting what we think of as business as usual, which has never been a friend to a hungry child or a struggling family, and to fighting hunger in new and innovative ways. And just for the background, for both of you and for our listeners, you know, beginning with our instincts on the very first day of Share Strength more than 40 years ago, we knew that we had to do more than redistribute wealth via traditional fundraising. And instead that we had to create wealth, what we call community wealth. And we entered into these groundbreaking corporate and cause-related marketing partnerships. Uh, that was the result of that rejection of business as usual. And then we started on the programmatic side to innovate from moving school breakfast uh, from the cafeteria where many kids could not access it to the classroom and reinventing now how kids get fed in the summertime when the schools are closed. We've also known, and this is something I'm going to want to talk to both of you about, that there's always resistance to change. There's always an instinct to fall back on doing things the way everybody's been used to doing them. But of course, that all but guarantees the same result of kids at risk of hunger, kids not reaching their full potential. So it's a thrill for us to have two innovators uh, with us who are thinking differently about important problems and thinking differently about it from a business and a market perspective, which is not always a perspective that is brought to bear on these issues. Um, Jimmy and Ofek, I'm going to ask you both to tell us a little bit how you came to be doing what you're doing. But before even that, uh, tell me how the two of you know each other. Thanks so much for having us here, Billy. It's such an honor to, to have this conversation with you and Ofek. Um, and, uh, you know, it's also been an honor to have gotten to know you and share strength better over the last couple of years. Um, just, uh, just getting to, to see under the hood a little bit about how, um, you know, you deliver on the promises and on kind of the, 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 the conversation around what share strength can do has just been incredibly gratifying and also just a great learning experience for me as a leader. Um, so I'm happy to tell a little bit of like my side of meeting OFEC. I would love to, to have him share his side of the story as well, because I think it's a little different. Uh, we first met when OFEC was at, at Instacart. 
Um, and it, it was it was during a time when Instacart was rolling out EBT purchasing, uh, where OFAC was kind of the key, key instrumental leader. Um, a lot of our relationship in recent years has been uh, as he has become the CEO and co-founder of Forage, um, this incredible company that, as you said at the top, Billy, has a lot of resonance to Propel's mission. But I think one of the things I'm really excited about is that it, like OFEC and the Forge team are approaching the mission in such a different way. They have a different customer. They have a different business model. The technology problems that they need to solve are different from ours. And I think the reason I find that exciting is um, because I think for this to be really a space, for this to be an industry, for this to be considered, you know, a, 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 a dynamic space, you need to have lots of different companies that are doing this work that have kind of the same high level mission, but that are approaching it from a bunch of different directions, because as we all know, the reality of hunger in this country is that it's incredibly complex and that there's no single company, no single approach that's going to be the answer. It's kind of got to be the concerted effort that we all bring to the table. That's, that's exactly right. And before, Jimmy, we turn to OFEC, tell us a little bit about how you came to be doing what you're doing. I know you also have a background in the tech community. Um, what sparked your interest in creating Propel? I started Propel about 10 years ago now, back in 2014. Um, before that, I was a product manager at Facebook in Menlo Park, where I led the groups team. Before that, a product manager at LinkedIn. Um, but all the way before that, I was a little kid who grew up in a loving and supportive household that also sometimes was food insecure. And so I went to college on a financial needs scholarship. I learned how to code. I landed in the tech industry at a time when these tech companies were growing really quickly. Um, and just learned a lot, but always felt a little bit unsatisfied with how I felt that especially in consumer software companies, the companies that built the apps and websites used by hundreds of millions or billions of people, that mostly those companies build to solve the problems of the founders. And that's why the tech industry is so over-indexed on building things that are useful to people who live in cities or who are higher income. But that in this day and age, almost everyone has a smartphone that goes on the internet, including people that are very low income, including people that were navigating Financial challenges very similar to the ones that my parents faced as I was growing up. And so I moved to Brooklyn in 2014 to start Propel through a fellowship at the nonprofit called Blue Ridge Labs, uh, which is part of the Robin Hood Foundation. And it was based on the premise that uh, the safety net, and in particular the SNAP program, ought to have a user experience that paralleled that that people experience in the private sector that the, the quality of the, the interactions that people have on websites and apps and just the day-to-day -day experience of using the SNAP program ought to be not so different from what it feels like to use a credit card or a debit card in the private sector. And that in particular, one pain point that we identified was that uh, most people we talked to with these EBT cards that SNAP benefits were getting loaded on were calling the 1-800 number on the back of the card to check what their balance was. And so we built the country's first essentially mobile banking app for the EBT card that replaced that phone number with a free app that let people uh, understand what their balance and transaction history was in a way that uh, we felt that someone who had never used the program before would just expect that something like that existed. Over the years, Propel's journey has really been about um, using that as an acquisition hook. So that's the reason why people download our app and engage in it frequently. It's why there are more than 5 million families across the country that use the the provider's app each month, um, but that our real value goes deeper than that. Our real value is about helping families who receive SNAP benefits to navigate the twists and turns of their everyday financial life and to improve their overall financial health. And so we also help our users when they're here to check their benefits, do things like uh, to get a bank account or to find a health insurance plan that's a better fit for their needs or to, cr uh, to cross enroll and qualify for various government benefit programs or to even find a job. 
Thanks, Jimmy. Ofek, thank you for your patience. Uh, let's talk about how you came to be doing this work. I know you were at, we've talked about, uh, Jimmy mentioned you were at Instacart. I know you were at Uber. Also, um, where did this uh, instinct to be wanting to be in this particular space and field come from for you? Well, first of all, thank you so very much, Billy and Jimmy, for having me here. Um, I've dedicated my professional career to helping food insecure Americans get access to healthy and affordable meals. And you two are just such titans in our, our industry. It's an honor to be here. Um, for, for me, um, similar to Jimmy, I, my background is in, in, uh, in working at some great large uh, technology companies here in Silicon Valley, including Uber, and most recently Instacart, where I was the head of payments. And uh, I've just seen the power and possibility of technology companies to ch radically change industries, create access and do good. Um, and I think that uh, one of the areas that has been historically overlooked is the ability to use technology to actually help influence the lives of low-income Americans. And um, uh, as Jimmy mentioned earlier, I, I got a chance to meet him while I was launching EBT uh, Snap as a payment method at Instacart, helping the 42 million Americans that rely on these payments in order to, to put food on the table for their families. And um, got to befriend him. And, and Jimmy's a hero of mine and somebody who's just done amazing work for such a long time in the space, somebody who I, I've turned to for guidance, um, and, and including when I went out to fundraise for Forage. Um, he was incredibly helpful. And we actually share uh, investors um, largely thanks to uh, Jimmy's recommendation um, and help there. And so ultimately for us, um, the way we think about our, our place in the ecosystem is Forage uh, builds the payments infrastructure to make it so that anybody in the country can use their EBT benefits online um, and make it as ubiquitous as credit cards or debit cards on the internet, a change that we're, we're pioneering and, and, uh, and we've got a lot of work to do, but we're very, very happy about the progress we've made in just a short period of time. And Jimmy has built, as he's mentioned, an incredible consumer mobile app um, and, uh, and has millions of people that rely on their services in order to get access to their EBT benefits and also so much more, whether it's employment or other opportunities or cost savings. And so I really view ourselves as sort of kindred spirits, able to help each other out. It's important for us in our ecosystem that um, that Propel is, does their job and helps consumers. And, and, um, and for us, I, I think hopefully our place in the ecosystem is making it so that those consumers can then shop anywhere on the internet and be able to get food delivered directly to their doorstep. And so we sort of help each other out and have partnered on a number of opportunities, including actually an ebook that we both put out a few months ago titled Harnessing the Power of Snap EBT Online, Why Top Retailers Are Investing. And so uh, we continue to, to help each other and I continue to, to look up to Jimmy and um, it really it's an honor to, to be working alongside him. Uh, how old is Forage? When did you start it? Uh, Forage is about two and a half years old. Um, we uh, we the, really, the, 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 the idea behind what we do is when I was at Instacart um, accepting EBT Snap, there was only one, uh, one player that allowed you to accept EBT Snap payments. I was very dissatisfied with those services and um, we built a competing uh, uh, product that is a modern infrastructure provider for payments that um, is easier to integrate as the first uh, mobile SDK in the market um, and provides real service in terms of working with the USDA to get approval on being able to accept EBT SNAP. So really I've, I've, we've built the, the payment provider that I wish had existed 
when I was at Instacart. I just want to follow up on one thing Jimmy said, uh, because, you know, I, I worked in government for quite a long time. I think what government does is critically important. So I'm not beating up on government, but it's this, it feels like a classic case of just government being a little bit out of touch with the way people really live their lives. Like what, why did you have this insight when the government that's been dealing with this program for so long didn't, or is that just the market wait, working the way the market's supposed to work? Well, I think um, a lot of this is a realization that while the starting point was adjacent to government services, you know, specifically checking the balance of an EBT card is adjacent to a government service. A lot of the the, the solution here is is just classic private sector stuff, right? That the government alone can't uh, single handedly, you know help a low-income American through every twist and turn of their life. Can't help you get a job necessarily or get a bank account or, you know, navigate, you know, a grocery shopping or, or retail or telecoms or bills or any of these other types of, of industries. Um, it's just that the, the infrastructure is not there to do all of those things for low-income consumers. Um, but it's something that the, that the private sector, and in particular a technology company, they can do that scalably through modern software, actually could. And so, you know, over the years of, of my experience at Propel, we've had the privilege to meet so many public sector servants who have done such an incredible job um, administering programs like SNAP, but also WIC and TANF and a variety of other programs that have such a big impact on low-income consumers. You know, they are very much the heroes of this story. And I've, I've learned that in speaking to them and understanding kind of what they're doing in order to make sure consumers get the benefits that they need. But we've just seen in many cases that uh, through no faults of their own, the technology interface and thus the day-to-day -day experience of people who use safety net services leaves a lot to be desired. And I don't think there's necessarily a, like one person or one agency that's at fault there. I don't really see it that way. I see it as more, I think it is uh, the responsibility of, of tech companies of the tech sector to do more of their part in helping to solve these kind of uh, incredibly important kind of challenges. So kind of a personal question for both of you. Yeah, you were at uh, Instacart, Uber, Jimmy at Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Did uh, friends or family or your parents say like, what are you doing walking away from all of this to, to you know, take a, a, a leap and try and help people uh, when you have so much other opportunity? Was this, was this, was it a hard decision for either of you or did you feel uh, any social pressure not to do what you're doing? I was going to say for, for me personally, I, I feel like we, I feel very privileged to have a unique opportunity where I don't need to make a trade-off here. I think that there is an opportunity to do real good and make a positive societal impact and also build a great business. And I, I really think of Propel on a similar trajectory as ours. And so I think that we're, we're in a very unique position where we can build, we both have built venture-backed businesses with some of the leading investors in the world and are also going to help tens of millions of people. And so for me, I just feel very grateful that I get to wake up every morning and work on this specific problem. And to me, it's food security is personal. Uh, I'm the grandson of Holocaust survivors and know what it was like for them to not be able to be uh, well-fed and nourished. And so, um, you know, growing up, we, we always had to finish all the food on our plate and couldn't, couldn't leave the dinner table until uh, everything was left over. And, and we're very, very uh, conscious of, of food waste. Um, and so for me, I just couldn't be prouder to be able to work on this specific problem. And Jimmy, you mentioned that there were personal reasons you got involved as well in terms of experience, food insecurity, but were there any uh, moments of doubt or any pressure from your, your parents or anybody to say like, why are you walking away from uh, some of these opportunities in Silicon Valley? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
with family that that wants the best for me and wants me to make sure that I have a roof over my head, uh, given how we grew up. Like, yeah, of course, there's 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 a little bit of pressure, there's a little bit of, of skepticism that that starting a new thing from scratch and dealing with the financial risk of that is the right thing. But I think, you know, credit to my family, they very much understood and deeply supported what I uh, I was getting myself into. And you know, look, I 100% agree with. OFAC's point that I think the real opportunity here with companies like Forge and Propel is to be hopefully examples or case studies um, that make it a little bit less risky, that make it a little bit less like controversial for someone to leave their job at a big you know tech company to go work on something like this. Um, because if we can prove out that there actually is a true business model and not just a barely there business model, but actually a really interesting one that's comparable to tech companies that don't have a social impact kind of lens, that to me is what long-term success looks like. That's how that's that's what building up a sector might look like is, you know, providing these data points of, hey, we can build these businesses that are highly technical in nature, that are very sophisticated, that are great for consumers, that produce really positive, you know, impacts on low income Americans, but that produce also great returns for investors and employees and everyone else involved. Um, that, that to me is like, that's the formula, right? That like the the kind of the concessionary stuff might be needed in certain parts of the industry. But I, what I get more excited about is can we find different business opportunities that are, you know, truly as good or better than what others may see, but but they're just like underappreciated. They are, uh, and and they're underappreciated because the the space is just so foreign to most investors, to most tech executives, to most people who who didn't necessarily grow up, you know, low income or didn't have a lot of personal experience with programs like Snap or EBT. Is it, is it fair to say, and again, this is not, I don't mean this as a knock on government at all, but is it fair to say that you're both doing something and that business has the uh, venture-backed businesses have the, the opportunity to do things that government as a practical matter just can't do? Well, I would be super curious in your perspective on this too, Billy, as as, as like someone who, who also does a lot of work with the government and holds up and champions a lot of, of kind of policymakers and administrators. I mean, for us at, at Propel, it is that there are certain things that are really challenging for the public sector to do based on the the kind of ways that programs are set up um, and that in particular in our case it's it's like building a piece of software used by millions of people on a daily basis that feels modern that is kind of uh, functionally similar to a lot of other popular mobile apps in terms of how fast they load and how well designed they are and all those types of things that there's a lot of value that we believe that we can bring there and, and supplement the great effects and the great the great kind of uh, the work that the public sector is doing um, and so it's not about replacing or you know um, anything like that is really about enabling uh, public servants and the existing policy infrastructure to really uh, reach its promise, which is, hey, we're trying to feed hundreds of, uh, you know, or we're trying to feed tens of millions of people through these programs. Is there a way for us to do it more efficiently? What were you going to say, Ofek? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that um, the government is is great at solving really, really big problems and putting together policies and guardrails. But ultimately, it's I, I think the reason why uh, both Propel and Forge have been so successful is we're able to solve a problem they can't, which is moving at Silicon Valley speed, hiring the most talented engineers in the country and having them solve a, a mission-focused problem. And so I think in many ways, I think we need each other, right? We want the government to set up guardrails. We want the government to support and help low-income Americans. We want the government to come out with um, with new ways to protect consumers and ensure that they get fed. But ultimately, the um, the private sector has a really unique opportunity to go in and uh, and actually realize that those policies get built and do so in, in a way that you'd expect from other, you know, best in class 
companies like the companies that Jimmy and I worked uh, at before we started our own companies. Uh, we talked about the speed of Silicon Valley. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about, um, if you think of just maybe help us understand the scope and the scale of what you're both doing. Uh, how many uh, businesses or consumers are you reaching? What does that amount to in terms of market share? How much is is left to go? Um, a little bit maybe about what's what's the competitive landscape, or are are the two of you two of two or two of twenty, or who else is out there doing this? But give us a sense of what the what the scale is, and you're both relatively young companies, so I'm assuming that there's a long way to go. But uh, where are you now? Here at Forage, we're at the very beginning of our journey. Um, we think we're we're a one of a kind company. Uh, there's we're the only private, only venture backed company that's been approved by the USDA to accept uh, EBT online. Um, we do have uh, two competitors in our space. Um, they are much larger uh, payments companies that have existed for decades. They're both public. And I think one of the advantages we have is that we are singularly focused on this problem. And it's why we win over 95% of head-to-head deals. And so we're building something really innovative. Um, we're, we've still got a very long ways to go. There's over 250,000 stores that accept EBT in this country. However, something like, you know, only 250 of them accept EBT online today. And so we've got a really massive opportunity in front of us. Um, and I've partnered with some really large platforms and retailers, including Shopify and, and many others, uh, in order to be able to uh, enable them to accept EBT snap payments online. And you must be, I'm assuming you're developing kind of uh, proof of concept and stories that go with it that would make uh, all those others in the in the uh, cohort of two hundred and fifty thousand, at some point, uh, look up and say, "Wow, uh, I, I see where that works. I see where that's to my advantage." Uh, there's going to be a, a point, I, I assume, at which you're uh, not pushing so much as being pulled. Absolutely. I mean, we're in a really um, we're very grateful to be in a position where it's a win 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 for everybody. So if we do our job, we're going to make EBT payments as ubiquitous on the internet as credit cards. Um, it, we're going to help feed tens of millions of American families and be able to provide billions of dollars of incremental revenues to grocers and retailers across the country. That's a very rare opportunity. And I think we, we, have, uh, we have a long journey to go in, in terms of, of reaching our full potential, but it's something that I think is, is really unique. And it's why we're so excited uh, to be able to build this unique technology. And, and Ofec, what will be the, the uh, obligation of educating consumers so that they know they can use their EBT online? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way I think about it is I actually pull back and look over at sort of the history of food and security in the country. And so the, um, the um, food stamps program has existed for nearly a century with you know it, it being modernized, quote unquote, and turned into a credit card from physical paper coupons to a card in the 80s. And it was only four years ago when the first online transaction happened. Um, according to the USDA, it's now over 6% of all EBT transactions are online from zero just four years ago. And so, uh, and we know that something like 12 to 15% of all grocery transactions are now online. And so we expect to continue seeing a doubling, um, and over hundred percent growth year over year of EBT uh, funds moving on, moving to the internet. And the, the biggest bottleneck to that is the exact problem we're solving, which is most grocery stores and retailers don't yet accept it. We think if we can solve that problem, we're going to create a world where, um, you know, the 17 million Americans that live in food deserts or the one out of every five that are uh, that are disabled, um, the, uh, the folks that are elderly, 
um, uh, all have access to be able to get their food delivered directly to their doorstep. And um, we, we think low income doesn't mean no income. Many of these folks are hardworking American families that are working hourly jobs and every hour that they're not out um, uh, uh, working is an hour they're not providing for their families. And so we think we've got a really unique opportunity, a really unique value proposition. Um, and I think that there's still a lot of work to be done, even as I think about Jimmy's business. There's Jimmy, you probably know the numbers better than I do, but I, I sort of have a mental model of something like only 75% of people that are even eligible for EBT benefits get them. And so we, we absolutely still have a lot of work to do and I think are making great progress in order to make it so that everybody who's eligible for these benefits gets them, is able to provide food for their families, and then able to um, to spend their benefits uh, any way they want to. Yeah, I think if you like, so totally right participation rate in SNAP, like not everyone who qualifies is enrolled. Um, and certainly like that's a major pain point in the SNAP program, but it's similarly true across a lot of other other uh, nutrition programs and just other government benefits in general, right? If you look at across the safety net, participation rates have a, a huge range. And, you know, um, I, I have kind of a hot take on this, which is that I just think that like there need to be a lot more organizations and people working on this problem that as much as like, I would love for propel to do a bunch of it. And I know forge is going to do a bunch of it. The reality is like, it's way too, it's too many problems. It's too many challenges for any, for, for the small number of organizations, no matter how hardworking they are in this industry to do alone. And, um, that I would love for other people interested in starting new companies, whether they're technology companies or different types of companies to think about how, you know, you can get at some of these numbers and to the points that OFAC was making about the business opportunity here in, in snap EBT in particular, I think similar types of math exist across a lot of other kind of safety net programs too. And I think it's just like underappreciated. I don't know. It's kind of a, a it's, it's considered kind of a dark horse thing that people don't really think about this as an industry or as, as a business opportunity. Um, but I think it's actually a really incredible business opportunity to build a business that both has a, you know, potentially a large market and that also creates this really positive outcome for the families that use programs. And that's, that's really what I'm optimistic about is like, can we, you know, can we, can we uh, work together to be an example of what that kind of business outcome is and to inspire others to go start organizations or to join existing organizations that are working to, to help people access uh, government benefits. Jimmy, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, we call it uh, um, doing good is good for business. And I, I'm sure that over the long arc, as we look at our companies, um, you will see that employees are more engaged. People are more excited about the work they do. It is more meaningful um, that people are, the retention rates, I think, reflect the fact that, that people that work for places like Forage and Propel and anybody else tackling the really large problems that we are, um, get to wake up every day really excited about the meaningful work they do. And the fact that you don't actually have to make a choice between, well, do I work somewhere that's really mission aligned, working on a big, exciting problem, or do I work at a, at a fast growing tech company? The fact that you get to do both at places like Forage and Propel, I think, is really rare. And I think, uh, I hope similar to Ginny, that in the coming decade, we'll see many more folks uh, with that model. And I think all the studies are coming out showing that folks in Gen Z are very interested and excited about working on ultimately something meaningful. How many on your team at uh, Forage? We're at about 50 now. So zero to 50 in about two years. Because uh, I thought I, I think I saw a picture online and they looked young, dynamic, idealistic, energetic, and <laughs> happy to be there. It looked like exactly what you just described. How about Jimmy at Propel? How many? We're at about 100. Wow. Okay. And and it sounds like what both of you are saying in terms of the broader potential impact down the road, uh, and this is not surprising, you're both kind of pioneers in the space, but we're just 
we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what this could mean for families accessing a broad suite of benefits across a lot of different issues, not just food. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of our work at Propel over the last nine years now has been, you know, starting with food and certainly food is it is and will always be an incredibly important part of the safety net and of people's financial lives, but of realizing that it's that's just like one little puzzle piece within the broader kind of financial life of a low-income family. So a lot of our work in recent years has been you know, thinking about financial services and banking. It's been thinking about employment and jobs. It's been thinking about housing and healthcare and childcare and um, all these other kind of thorny challenges that, that, that people face. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, when you talk to someone who's low income, they don't necessarily see it as like different industries or different sectors or any of those business terms. They see it as just like, I'm trying to make it through the month and I got these bills and I got these expenses and I'm trying to buy something nice for my kids. And uh, you know, that's the way that a lot of people think about it. And so what, what, what we've been trying to do at Propel is to build a really user-friendly, user-centered piece of software that meets people where they are financially and as they think about these different types of challenges and tries to present user-friendly and appropriate solutions to them to people. You talked, Ofek, about food deserts, and that really caught my attention because it's a you know, big issue in the place that all three of us are focused on. And it sounds like what you're saying is that if families have the means to order online, that the delivery system will catch up, that we'll be able to actually get food delivered to food deserts. Are you confident about that? Yeah, I think so. Our thesis essentially is that anybody anywhere, regardless of where you live, should be able to have access to healthy, affordable food. And um, there's over 17 million Americans today that live in food deserts. And, uh, you know, Jimmy lives in Brooklyn. I live in San Francisco. We've got a ton of different options here for for food and um, you can walk a mile and hit a number of different grocery stores unfortunately that's not the reality for many parts of the country um, or maybe there there is some place that sells food but it might not be the type of healthy affordable food and the diversity of ethnic food that you can see on the internet which really is supposed to be a, a force for good and, and the ability to democratize where you could buy anything from specialty hispanic food to um, uh, produce to, to everything else and by the way it's actually cheaper as well. And so the, the idea should be, uh, if I take away this massive retail space in the, uh, the checkout lanes and the aisles, can I actually reduce the cost of, of getting you groceries and produce by 30, 40%? We're certainly seeing that happen with some, uh, some really innovative business models that are in the digital grocery space. Um, the, the other part is if you look at low-income Americans, they're very, very sensitive to things like increased gas prices. Uh, and so j- driving to the grocery store might actually be expensive and time consuming. Um, they have reliance on public transit, which might not, which might take you hours to get to and from the nearest place where you can afford to get uh, healthy, affordable food. And so we think long-term, um, like, like with all retail, I think the answer is actually omni-channel. I think it's a combination of ordering online and going into the store, but right now, um, we just need to make the, the ability to purchase online much more available so anybody can have the same convenience on their credit card uh, as they do uh, with, with EBT payments. Got it. So, so Jimmy at Propel, Ofic at Forage, what, uh, it feels like the sky's the limit. What's holding you back, if anything? Uh, is it, uh, do you need more talent? Do you need more time, more venture capital? What are the gating factors between you and everything you want to achieve? I think it's time. 
I think it's time, Billy. It's it is that uh, the work that we do in this domain, because there is such a policy adjacency, because behaviors are slow to change, and just because it's not like an overnight success type of business model, uh, requires a long time to build. So it's you know this is our tenth year at Propel, and um, we are a ways away from the success that you've had over the forty at, at Share Strength. But we, we we see our journey similarly that we are early on in the journey, but there's just so much to do and that things don't necessarily always move at the speed of light. And so it just requires a lot of, uh, it requires a lot of patience. It requires grit from the team. It requires an understanding that like, yeah, if we're trying to do something like have an impact on poverty in the United States, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen overnight. Um, it's gonna uh, require kind of the repeated day-to-day go to work and do a good job and come back tomorrow and do the same thing again, um, compounded over years to really have the kind of major quantitative effect that we believe is possible that kind of the mission of the company is really focused on. And so, you know, uh, I, I, I look back on the 10 years of Propel and I'm certainly proud on the impact that we've had and, and the, uh, the, the kind of progress that we've already made, but really see it as like the first inning that there's so much left for us to do, um, that like, you know, uh, in the next 10 years and beyond uh, that, like, hopefully we can make even greater progress, you know, because we're, we're not cutting corners, we're not looking f- to make a cheap buck or to just get things done fast and sloppy that like, it won't, it, you know, there are lots of stories in Silicon Valley of overnight venture capital successes. And while we very much in, in, intend to produce an outcome that is the same magnitude as a lot of those organizations it just might take us longer. And, uh, you know, that's that's I think one of the the ways in which our our mission and the way that we are as an employer just gets communicated to our employee base. It's like, yeah, we we we're looking for people who who understand that like sometimes you have to be a little bit patient or you have to try twenty things only for one of them to work, and that's that's kind of the way that things work in this industry. Um, and that if we're serious about the problem, that we're not tourists to the space, that we're not just like here to do a summer project and then leave, but that we're really you know committed to this problem. Um, that that's kind of the way you have to go about it. Ofek, how about for you? Anything besides time? I mean, for us, it's all of the above. Uh, I mean, we're well capitalized. We've got brilliantly talented people, and we've done a lot in our, our few years of, since launching. Um, I think we've, we're on an amazing trajectory, but to really make a dent in the universe and, and realize our full potential, I think we need, you know, hopefully uh, all three. I think um, I think we've got an opportunity to, to dream really big here and make a really big impact and and hopefully God willing we can look back in a few years and say that actually the technology we built and payments infrastructure we built for EBT Snap is one that we can now provide um, either in other countries or uh, or with other social safety net programs here in the United States and so I think really the the opportunities are endless. Uh, one last thing I'll ask you about you know I, I come to this from um, I, I come to my work from government and politics a long, long time ago, but I still tend to look at things through a political lens. I hope not a partisan lens, uh, certainly in my role at Share Strength, but but a little bit of a political lens. And I, and I see what we're talking about, and I'm just interested in your take on it, although we're talking about technology and we're talking about customer service and we're talking about making things consumer-friendly and work for businesses. To me, there's also a backdrop here of this being about equity and empowerment. And I say that because as a society, we're always creating benefits. Uh, Sometimes they're tax breaks, sometimes they're subsidies, uh, sometimes they're for Pfizer or Exxon or Goldman Sachs. And they tend to be able to go get their benefits (laughs) with with great efficiency. Uh, But the people that I think we aspire to serve uh, don't 
have the same access to them. There's lots of obstacles and barriers and bureaucracy that, that stands in the way. So it feels to me like, you know, what you're achieving is not just um, a, a, te- a major technology innovation and win, but a, a stand for equity and empowerment. Does it, does it feel that way or am I, is that, that's, that's just my political lens? <laughs> I appreciate the the kind of pulled back view on it, Billy, because in the day to day of building the technology, it, it doesn't necessarily feel grand. It feels just like you got to slog through the things and make it make it one percent better each day, and then you know hopefully you can achieve something grand. Um, but it, you know, I I really see it as the technology is in service of something else. Like we're a tech company, sure, but we don't build technology just to build technology. We build technology because we see it as the tool that is underappreciated and underutilized in this sector to create the outcomes of equitable usage of benefits, of increased financial health, of you know safety net programs meeting their promise for Americans, and I you know I uh, you know certainly politics is, is is a major part of of policy and of funding of programs and so on. I, I hope it's not partisan or political to want these incredibly important programs to have the maximum possible impact on the people that they intend to reach and that we don't ever intend our message or our kind of impact at Propel to be political to the extent that like both parties can get on board with uh, increased financial health and decreased poverty and people having respectful and modern software. Um, that's really, that's really, you know, how I see it. And I think for us, it's also, it's incredibly important that we, we view our work um, in sort of that long-term time horizon, because as we've seen, you know, political parties change, administrations change and leaders change, but the programs themselves and the need that consumers have, you know, that, that stays relatively consistent across all those different changes. And so, you know, if we, if we aspire to build enduring organizations, um, it really is important to think about the message as separate from a partisan one or separate from a short-term policy one, but to, to instead attach to kind of the, the, the longer-term narratives. Yeah, and I think related to your point, Jimmy, is that you know bo- both parties, to the extent that they even think about this, should be supporting it. This is about making government work. <laughs> this is about making sure that government dollars aren't wasted, that they're spent well, that they do what they're intended to do. Um, so let me just turn to you, Ofec, for the last word here. We believe that well-fed people have many problems, but hungry people have only one. And so I, ultimately, I think that if we're able to continue doing, I mean, we live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the planet. And as you think of sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is one that we absolutely need to solve and can solve and, and are, will continue to do a great job solving. Uh, as I think about, you, you know, administrations change all the time. They go from red to blue. Um, the reality is the American people, one out of every eight of them rely on on EBT benefits to provide food for their families. And um, if you actually trace back even in the modern era since 1990, um, the EBT program has actually expanded by 11.3% per year during Republican administrations and 8.5% during Democratic administrations, because this really is an American issue. It's not a partisan issue. I, I think if, if people only listen to the headlines... I think you can sort of draw a very different image than if you look at the cold, hard numbers. And actually, just on, on the analysis we've done, actually, the biggest indicators of increases in SNAP actually have nothing to do with political administration. They have a lot more to do with whether a recession happened during that administration or whether there was inflation during that period. And so those are really the big indicators. It's when Americans are hurting the most that these programs get funded the most. And I think ultimately, I, I just... Um, uh, believe that the fewer people worrying about where their next meal is coming from means the more people that get to help us research ways to cure cancer and 
become an interplanetary species and dedicate themselves to science and the arts and so many other incredible things if we can help them solve this problem. That's fantastic. Uh, and you've said something, Ofek, that I'm always uh, sharing with anybody that'll listen, that of, of all the important work we do, and, and it's important and it moves the needle and it matters, but nothing correlates to increases or decreases in hunger so clearly as jobs and employment and where the economy is. And that's something we have to we have to pay more attention to uh, as well. Uh, last thing, I just want you to repeat the name of the ebook and where people can get it uh, because I didn't have a chance to write it down, but that sounded like something we should know about. It's called Harnessing the Power of Snap EBT Online and Why Top Retailers Are Investing by Providers and Forage. It's also on um, both of our websites. If you go to joinpropel.com or joinforage.com, they're both available there. And you can download it. Uh, you can download the ebook for free. Thank you both so much. You know, I, uh, as I said at the beginning, I've been doing this work for a long time and to have the opportunity to listen to two people who are innovating, taking bold risks, completely changing the way we think about how these services are delivered. Uh, it's, it's really one of the most exciting and inspiring things I've come across in all the time I've been doing this work. So it's been great having you, Jimmy Chen from Propel, OFIC. Lavian uh, from Forage, uh, thank you so much for being with us on Ad Passion and Stir. Uh, for our listeners, you can go to adpassionandstir.com and you can find all of our episodes there. You can rate us and rank us and share them with your friends. Uh, grateful to our producers at District Productive, Paul Whittle, who originally had the idea for this podcast and has supported it uh, for years and been an indispensable partner. And our team at Share Our Strength, who makes this podcast work every day. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Shore.